This is the running down. This is the running down. This is the running down. If you ain't know the deal, I bet you know now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, turn up, what's going down people, people, what's happening, what up though, what it do folks, it's your homie, homie CL and we back live on the Rundown South, gotta know that, and I'd like to thank y'all for joining me, however you're joining me, I do appreciate it, and uh, hopefully you came through from therundown.com, that's D-A, rundown.com, gotta know that, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe, on iTunes Rating review I need to know what you think And uh, if that doesn't work You can always catch us On Stitcher On SoundCloud And wherever else you need me to be You just let me know and I'm going to be there Got to know that uh, Now today We have a special guest Once again I have Van Newkirk II Who you might know as Five Fifths from the Negroes with a podcast program, which I am a big fan of. Uh, you might know him from some of his freelance writing um, places like Ebony and uh, Grantland, one of my favorite sites. Uh, or you might know him from the website Seven Scribe, where you getting that realness from the underground. People that's right in the struggle and ju- just trying to uh, uh, educate all. Uh, dude does some really good work. Um, I found him. I want to say through somebody that shared something on Twitter, uh, ended up finding the podcast, and now I'm a really big fan of all four of those guys. Uh, they do some really uh, socially conscious conversations that are real relevant, real educated, uh, and it, it's, it can't do anything but get better. Uh, so y'all definitely check that out. Uh, you can find a link in the show notes. Uh, along with the profiles to everybody that's on the podcast uh, But uh, today we're going to kick it with Van or Five Fifths uh, Who we kind of disagree on J. Cole uh, But nonetheless he made some real good points uh, But I, I'm not going to spoil it We're going to get right into the podcast And without further ado here is Van Five-fifths, Newkirk the second. Let's do it. I have uh, Van Newark on the line. What's going on, man? Nothing much. What's happening? Cooling, man. Right here in the A. Trying to uh, <clears throat> really get in touch with some people that's talking about uh, a lot of things that I want to talk about and uh, definitely have a lot of that here today. So, uh, I don't know, man. Let's uh, go ahead and get started. Uh Tell the people a little bit about you and uh, what you do on the day-to-day. All right. Well, uh, aside from my nine-to-five, which I still keep, uh, basically, (laughs) got to pay the bills, man. Yes, sir. Uh, Yeah, but what I do, so uh, you mentioned NWAP cast. So uh, Negroes of Podcast, it's uh, for for black guys, and, you know, we have four different opinions, and we like to talk about stuff, and... We talk about pretty much everything. We've been doing that for about a year. Uh, there's also, I am the uh, co-chief scribe, um, editor-in-chief of uh, 
Seven Scribes. It's a new online platform for millennials, young folks of to uh, we advocate for writers. We want to put out content that reflects the true views and values of our readership and give them something deeper than the regular clickbait uh, that a lot of folks market to black folks. Also, I'm a right. yeah, freelance writer. Uh, I've written for a lot of places and uh, working on my first novel. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I uh, see you contribute at one of my favorite sites, which is Grantland. Uh, yeah. So, uh, how did you uh, end up getting hooked up with them? Because I really uh, hold their t- content up to a real high standard. Yeah. So, uh, like, Grantland was always one of my favorite sites, too. It was a big, uh, for me, you know, I, I was so honored and, and happy that they chose me to write for them. And, and it's one of those things where it's not exactly what you know, it's who you know. You know, I think I was doing pretty good writing uh, before and I, I uh, am familiar and friendly with Rembert and a couple of the folks who, who were written there so my name got passed along I guess I had a couple good ideas and you know I had some some wonderful editors there that actually were willing to listen to my ideas and help me you know make them something that was of Grantland quality so yeah place a few things there there uh, and I was very happy how they turned out. That's what's up. So uh, that kind of leads us down one direction before we get into the heavy stuff. Uh, I see that you recently did a post about Mr. Robot. And uh, I like the line that you had in there because you say you binge watched it. And I think that mm-hmm. does have a different effect on that show. Uh, I'm trying to find a quote now because it... it it was uh, one of a kind because you were saying it's like you kind of hacked it by yeah, watching I, it back to back. I think I, I'm struggling to remember the exact quote myself, but I did say, you know, I, I think it makes a lot of a difference for all shows, whether you binge watch it or uh, whether you uh, watch it the way they well, it depends on what they intend you to binge watch. Right. So certain shows like if you if you've seen Narcos, which is out on Netflix now and I think it's one of the best things that ever come out as like a TV show but uh, it's meant to be binge watched and I think you actually lose a little or it changes it if you didn't binge watch it but something like Mr. Robot you you know you, for most folks they have like a, a week to sit down and think about everything and, and a lot of times to overthink everything you know come up with all these wild theories right? but if you if you watch everything back to back to back like it's pretty easy to figure out exactly what's going to happen and and how. So it's not a big deal. Right. So the thing, okay, I found a line. You said basically, uh, or not basically, uh, that uh, you could crack the source code of this shit with an on-demand Reddit and lots of coffee. And I thought about it and I was like, yeah, because... I just started watching it again with my wife because she hasn't watched any of the episodes. I was trying to get her to watch it while I was coming on. I was like, yo, this might be one of the best television shows I've ever seen in my life. You need to come watch this. But, you know, she in her ways. I ain't, I ain't <laughs> argue with her. Uh, but, yeah, so when I started watching, like, the first two or three episodes and you see Mr. Robot, you could be like, oh, they're not really interacting with him. 
and it was real subtle at first. But when you go back and look, it's it's really really you get that that Fight Club feel then. Yeah, uh, well, stuff like that. So that's one of the things I really refer to was you don't you don't you know if you watch it one show at a time, you get maybe one or two moments in every show that's like oh wait this has got real but if you watch like three in a row you're like he's definitely like you have six or seven of those moments all in one sitting and you're like okay now this is something's up um and you really start figuring it out so stuff like uh angela um going i i don't want to ruin this for you for your wife man so i'm not gonna say too much about the end of it but angela has a certain path about uh, and she ends up in a very interesting and different place than you expect for her at the end. And for me, it's like that's obvious at the beginning if you watch a couple episodes in a row. Uh, and yeah, it, it's really, really, yeah. really yeah, cause, interesting <laughs> stuff. I was going to say, yeah, because like even I noticed it. I was like, she is really bad at her job. Yeah, she's not good at her job. I was like, so she just got this promotion and she is not handling it well. Like, there, there was definitely that thread. And then a lot of scenes with her and the supervisor. Uh, you could, you kind of could see that coming. Uh, now let me just get your opinion on, uh, the finale as a whole. And do you have any theories? So, um, basically, I think the finale was a, it was, like a two-part commentary. I I need to watch it again, actually. I watched it twice, and I want to watch it one more time. (laughs) But I think what it was saying is, well, first of all, we know, I think we can sort of say what actually happened. Uh, We don't know, you know, where Elliot actually was, if Tyrell is real, all that stuff. But I think we do know he has a very, very, you know, I don't want to say powerful, but he can shape his own reality, you know, like superhuman fashion. But I think the commentary here is that he does that because he knows and he's figuring out in real life that even all of these super duper hacks and stuff don't actually change the way the world works. So you see the end with all the, the rich folks and you know, white rose shows up in the, in the rich folks club mm-hmm. and they're chilling, right? They're just like, yeah, you know, we're here and they're, they're relaxing. They're still rich. It doesn't seem that much has actually changed in the order of the world. I think that's the, the, the message. And I liked it. It was that they, he has this like sense of loneliness and he does all this, you know, he, he switches identities he makes up people. Um, he forgets things in order to like shape his own reality, but he can't. Uh, and I don't think it's something he has understood yet. He can't using those same methods like actually change society. Yeah, it, and I think you do see a lot of that, especially like, in that scene where like he's outside in Times Square. That was crazy. That was a mind, you know, boggler, whatever you want to call it. That, that had my mind going. I was like, what is going on right now? But that kind of reverted me back to like episode four with the whole dream sequence. Mm-hmm. And I can see yep. like that's, that's part of the, the director and the, um, the uh, writer that I can see that's going to be something that's going to be prevalent. It's going to be a lot of dream sequences and 
going to be explaining some things through that uh, because I think that's going to be the next chapter will be more of the backstory of who Elliot is. Cause right now, yeah, and, I think so. Cause usually, like, say, like in a Marvel movie, the in the Marvel movie, it's always the first one is how does he become the thing? You know, in this case, we got the action first because it was supposed to be a movie, uh, and he said this is the the first of the the three acts. Uh, so that's why I'm kind of theorizing that you know we are gonna really figure out the the relationship between him and his sister. Uh, now. I've been trying to, you know, figure that whole, uh, you know, is Elliot like everybody? But I don't know. It's, it seemed like a bit much. Yeah, you keep, he, keep going down that rabbit hole. It's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one to go down. Um, I, I, the only person that I really think might be uh, uh, that I'm that I'm really trying to figure out is Tyrell Wellick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way his wife talked to Elliot, it was, uh, that was crazy. So I don't know. But that's the thing that would, that would throw me off about it. You know, if, if he was Tyrell, you know, cause I, I heard that on, uh, if you like Prince movies, Grantland podcast, uh, shout out Wesley Morris. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I tried to like just take myself there, but it's, there was a lot of action for Tyrell. And, and I really think that that's taking it like a whole nother step further than what Elliot is as a person. So I'm, I mean, it, it could be, but I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a bit much, uh, for him. So my theory is that Tyrell is real, but that all the times we see Tyrell, they may not be real. You think it's like an instant so, message uh, or something or like some text or something that he's getting? Well, no, I think he's a real person and he does exist because I don't think it's I don't think the fact that he he works at I don't think Tyrell is completely made up because uh, Elliot couldn't work at uh, e- Evil Corp and the security but I do think every time I think he's like become impressed with Tyrell and so he like makes figments of him sometimes so like I'm not I don't think that when they met when he was going to do all that uh, to the uh, big data center Mm -hmm. and they met and they ate lunch I don't think that actually happened you don't think that happened? nope I think that that had to happen because were they listening to it in the truck? Well, yeah, that was interesting. So that's another thing that throws water on the Tyrell is completely made up thing to me, but I am not sure. I'm going to have to watch that episode. Y'all need to watch that episode again. <laughs> you got me questioning everything now. This is this is a real rabbit hole show, so yeah. It's, if, if you haven't seen Mr. Robot... Uh, just go on USA because they're holding all of the episodes hostage if you don't have cable. Uh, so don't look. Well, I, there's a few episodes on Hulu, but you got to have a TV subscription. It's, it's ridiculous. USA know what they doing, you know, cause they got like about 12 commercials in between each break on the website. So they getting their money off it no matter what. Yeah. 
It's crazy. Now, uh, we're recording this on a Saturday. Uh, and it's the Saturday before NFL Sunday, week one takeoff. Now, I just heard uh, the podcast y'all did with y'all NFL picks. And you're a mm-hmm. Carolina Panthers fan. Yes, I am. So, full disclosure, I'm a Saints fan. Uh, <laughs> even though I do live in Atlanta. Uh, but I'm not a diehard. I, and I might be even perpetrating saying I'm a Saints fan, but that's just who I identify as. Uh, so, I'm definitely, you know, unbiased when it comes to anything. Like, I know we're going to probably suck this year. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So, what's up with, uh, with Cam and them? So, it does he have any shot, you know, to make it back to the playoffs with Philly Brown? That's that's the main question right there. I I don't know. I, I'm I'm optimistic, you know, but there's limits to that optimism. I'm I'm because I also you know I do a lot of stats, a lot of fantasy stuff, a lot of stat stuff, and I I bet sometimes on games. So mm. you can't be super optimistic and mesh your money up right so okay now are you in north carolina i am in dc You're in dc okay yeah but i'm from north carolina so got you yeah uh i don't know philly brown our number one receiver we got ted Ginn jr as a slot receiver and devin Funches is our number two i don't that's not a recipe for success and uh, uh we our, our offensive line may be actually worse than the receivers the receivers get all the play all the press, but we got Michael Orr, who is one of the worst right tackles in the league uh, for two straight years. Uh, even though he uh, had a great, a you mean the dude that said that the Blast Side movie ruined his career? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so may have been one of the worst, may have been the worst starting right tackle in the league for a couple years, and now we're trying to move him to left tackle, which is a more important position. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, between the receivers and the line, I just – I would be very, very happy, honestly, if we could have another 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven season. That would be, to me, a successful year. Okay. See, now, I go lie. That question was really a setup for this. Uh, with that said, Cam has to do the most with the least. So – do you feel he gets treated fairly in the media? I don't. Uh, I don't feel he's treated fairly. I think it's a very common black quarterback thing. So, uh, you know, my favorite players in, in league history have all been black quarterbacks. Uh, Cam hasn't gotten up to that top five list yet, uh, the top, top ten list yet. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I love Cam as a player, and I really hope he has a great career. But... I think you see shades of what you saw with like McNabb, um, shades of Culpepper. Like Culpepper had two of the greatest seasons ever in like quarterbacking history. Of course, he was throwing to Chris Carter and Randy Moss, but uh, he was still, you know, you got to have an arm and, and be able to get it there, right? So, right. but people still were coming out the woodwork criticizing all those QBs for their demeanor, you know. Like McNabb was taking folks to the Super Bowl. He was he had an amazing winning record for most of his career. And you see the same thing happen with Cam. Cam has his team has been, I think, pretty much 
successful as while he's been quarterback and he's had to deal with some really terrible situations and a team that seems to be completely willing to actually give him talent at on the line or at wide receiver. So you're dealing with all that. Most rookies who come in behind a line that bad don't make it past the second year. Most rookies who come in with, you know, and are throwing to people like Philly Brown and, 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 and Britton Burson, they don't make it that long. But Kim has shown time and time again that he's a great quarterback talent. And, you know, I think you got to respect that. And, and folks don't. I mean, the dude just had like one of the greatest rookie quarterback seasons ever. Like, yeah, only Andrew Luck has thrown for more yards in a rookie season. I'm like, can a dude get some credit? And it's funny how when RG3 was coming up, they was like, at least he's not Cam. That was the whole thing during that. Now it's the <laughs> other way around. Why you can't be like Cam, RG3? Yeah. Well, and RG3 caught a lot. I mean, so I'm in D.C., so I see all oh, of the yeah. with RG3. Like, we talked about it on NWAP. Like, they, I mean, no, no other team in the world. No, I mean, not, no, nobody is going to send, if you had drafted Andrew Luck, nobody's sending Andrew Luck on some, putting him out at like, wide receiver on some trick plays, having him run fly routes. Like, <laughs> that, just is, that is stupid. That, that is uh, so stupid, man. And, and what a lot I've been disrespectful. watching the circus here. So disrespectful to the person that you, especially given what they traded to trade up to get RG3, it all just doesn't make sense. Um, and the, the, the circus here, like, there's no way RG3 is, a, is anybody's third-string quarterback behind Kirk Cousins and Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy, dog, like, I could see Kirk Cousins taking over the starting spot because RG3 hasn't been playing that great. But Colt McCoy is not an NFL quarterback. And to me, that's just, they just trying to play him, right? So... I think black quarterbacks still just get the short of the stick. Yeah, they they get less rope. You know, you don't see them hanging around at, like you do some of these other quarterbacks. I remember Bomani Jones the other day brought up uh, Benny Testaverde, who played till he was like forty five, and he was garbage like his first five years. He was garbage his whole career and managed to play for twenty years. Like it was a it's a commercial on TV now. Have you seen it with? Um, I- forget the the saints backup quarterback uh and he's talking about generators not backup generators yeah yeah something like that but it's a commercial that making fun of him making fun of him being a backup right and i'm like and i really think about how many black backup quarter that that's to me when 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 you'll you'll know things are equal when we actually have back black backup quarterbacks that are out there doing their thing because most of them don't, don't like once you stop being good enough to be a starter as a black quarterback, like you're out of there. Right. You got Charlie Batch, who was around for a while. He's you got Tyrod Taylor and and Joe Webb, but everyone else, they they convert you to wide receiver, then they cut you. That's it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And that, and it's weird because I look at somebody like Tannehill, who was a wide receiver who got converted to quarterback and went in the first round. I thought that was interesting because it never goes the other way around. Oh, yeah. So it's never going to be. I mean, you see it with uh, Ohio State right now. You see it with uh, what's, what's the dude from Florida State? Um, he was a big boy, big boy. He was a tight end turned quarterback. Um, I, I forget. 
but yeah, he was. Uh, um, let me look. I, I'm I'm totally blanking on him, but you know, he didn't have that same sort of rope, but he was you know same skill set. I think very similar to Ryan Tannehill. Didn't get that same benefit of a doubt, and you're gonna see somebody. You know, a lot of folks come in as quarterbacks who had never played wide receiver and they're changing them to wide receiver because they don't think you can play quarterback. Exactly. So, yeah. And, um, I mean, you, you can look at all the examples. That's why, you know, the little outrage that you're getting about the uh, Brandon Marshall comments, for example, you know, yeah. it's like they just oh. don't get it. You know, once you live something like that, you just got to be on guard all the time. EJ Manuel was the one I was thinking oh, about. Oh, right. But yeah, he well he was a first round pick, so I got to give him that. But he definitely hasn't gotten the same sort of rope in the league as uh, Tannehill. But here's the thing about EJ Manuel: nobody really thought he was a first round pick except Buffalo. <laughs> That's the only thing about him, because everybody else was like, he. I mean, he looks the part, but. He wasn't no guy you'd be taking top 10 in the first round. Like, this, this is not who I thought E.J. Manuel was, and that was the sentiment that I was getting from most people. So it was a shocker. Uh, so I, that that's the only problem with that one. But it's definitely true, you know, because you go back, you know, Aaron Brooks, Josh Freeman, uh, you know, they ran, they ran Warren Moon out of Houston after going to the Pro Bowl. Uh, just all type of fuckery. Is Josh Freeman alive? Where is he? He he was he was on a preseason roster and got cut. Oh damn! Yeah, he. I, f- I forgot what team he was. Was it? Oh, uh, he was with the Dolphins. Yeah, it was with the Dolphins. You're right about that. Oh man, that's that's his. So his uh career stats don't look terrible. That's the thing that that bothers me. Like his career pa- QB rating is. It's 78, like, there's quarterbacks. It's the exact same as Eli's first two seasons. Yeah, there's quarterbacks who are playing right now who have who have lower Q rating. He had, you know, a lot of rushing yards. His touchdown-interception ratio is greater than one-to-one. So, hey. Don't get no credit there, man. Now, uh, I could talk sports all day. Probably do a whole other <laughs> podcast on that. But, uh, you know, I want to go ahead and get in what I brought you here for. Let's talk about some of these things you were talking about on your podcast. Now, uh, before we do get into it, though, just I want a little background on, on how that podcast came together. All right. So this is one of those things I always tell everybody, you know, if you have a good idea, well, you know, things move too fast. There's too many people out here. We share too much and life is too short to not be out here chasing and making your ideas happen. So I was sitting around with three cats uh, who were on the podcast. Um, we didn't actually know each other all that well. Uh, Dez and uh, Garfield went to school, had kind of grown up together. Uh, but the rest of us, you know, we weren't all that close. So we were just on Twitter. We had hooped. We, we played a couple games of basketball a week before and decided we were just talking like, hey, maybe somebody wants to listen to us do a podcast. And 
all it took was that one, hey, you know, you plan, but let's do it. So we went over to a house. We recorded it with one laptop and the iPhone, <laughs> mm. four of us. And people said they enjoyed it. So, you know, we made it happen and we made it, we did it weekly for a year and a half now. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where we had the idea and, and did it. That's a, that kind of sort of like how I, how I got started. Uh, when I, I originally started the rundown, it was supposed to be me and my partner kind of going back and forth on uh, just different like sports and hip hop things. Uh, but, you know, trying to keep people consistent, you know, it don't always happen like that. Uh, but I still felt like I could be doing something. So that's kind of how I switched the format uh, to what I'm doing now. It's like, you know, having people in. And then later on, I'm gonna have this other show put together. It's it, it's gonna be ready, but uh, I don't want to hold that up anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, so y'all talk about a lot of social things, what's going on, uh, you know, politically, and of course, you know, you writing a lot a lot about those things. Uh, definitely lines up. Now, one of the first things. I wanted to ask you about, and I'm surprised, or I might have just missed it uh, when y'all talked on the podcast, but uh, the Hillary Clinton uh, Black Lives Matter video, uh, mm-hmm. I seen it my first time on uh, the nightly show, uh, which I can't wait to see how this is going to play out with, uh, uh, what's your boy Trevor Noah coming up on a daily show. I'm already, <laughs> yeah. already getting a lot of resentment. So, uh, I'm gonna be watching Comedy Central on that one. But, uh, back to the, uh, video, I, I saw some things that made a lot of sense that I don't think people caught on to on like what Hillary was saying. But I don't want to like dilute nothing. So just kind of tell me what you think about it. Well, so I think, you know, she was saying she needs policy points and all that. But, uh, and I, I do agree in a sense, you know, I, I think when people are protesting, especially at these very political things, folks need agenda items because they need uh, something smart to have something the politician can actually act on. But I think the presumption there was that they hadn't had, you know, real policy directives and agendas. But I'm not sure how true that actually was. They And I think. There's a difference between there's two different con- protests to me. So there's a, di- there's a protest where you're saying, you know, we're fed up and we want you to do something. And then there's a kind of protest where you're actually bringing uh, policy points and you're bringing directives and you've drafted legislation. I think those two things are distinct and both are very useful. So. But it did, uh, and there are you know many policy points now for folks to lean on. So I think it's interesting now that you know people have very concrete policy points now with like Campaign Zero, uh, other folks putting together some similar ideas and platforms. Now you don't have you know politicians don't have that as an, as, as, a, as something to fall back on. There are po- policy points. So for me, I'm interested in seeing now how when presented with these ideas, Hillary responds. Because right now, she doesn't have the kind of outlined 
platform about racial justice, policing, incarceration, as say Bernie Sanders does. So I, I'm really interested in seeing how she reacts to that pressure uh, from both Bernie and from the activists. Uh, because I think she asked for something, and I think right now folks are delivering on it. So uh, in a few weeks to me, it'll be her move. All right, so... Uh, Really haven't had the space to really say this on the podcast because I don't talk politics with nobody. Uh, but I really want to get your thoughts on Bernie Sanders uh, mm-hmm. because I read your piece that you did on it. Uh, but I'm going to say this. Uh, what it seems to me that Hillary, Hillary was saying is on a unified front, we need to hit one issue at a time. You know, we be- we just got through with gay marriage, and that was the one thing it was about. You know, it w- it was about equal rights, but it was really just gay marriage, and that was the thing that you know was getting pushed. So, if we wanted police reform, then we need to just all push police reform, and let's just concentrate on that. If that's where we think that's gonna make the first difference. Well, okay, so I'm I'm gonna type that. T- First, Bernie, uh, and then that question or those comments. So, Bernie, uh, let's see. I like Bernie a lot more than I like Bernie's supporters. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you know. I think he has some good ideas, and I think he actually has, in some cases, tried to listen to folks and oh, yeah. and, and make sensible policy solutions to certain problems. So, as a you know, as much as I can actually say I, I like what a politician has done, I like what Bernie Sanders has tried to do with his campaign. Now, I don't know. I don't, still don't think he's going to win or I don't think he's going to come close to winning, especially if Biden enters the race. But I think I'm glad to have candidates out there who are running on a very liberal, uh, very, very, uh, a very liberal campaign that does include issues like you know black lives matter it also includes issues uh, environmental justice and environmental uh and being going green and stuff like that and i think those are very important so what they do is they kind of drag and put pressure on the other candidates to target those areas too so that's what i think bernie is most useful in getting folks like hillary to really think you know pressure them to think about these issues too now, in terms of basically how Black Lives Matter and different activists are pursuing different policy directives, I am of the mind that you it's probably most efficient to go one issue at a time. But I'm not sure if it should be on the people who are aggrieved to have to make such a cynical decision there so for me like you know you have people who do genuinely feel like their lives are uh or or the quality of their life is impacted the chances uh, that they and their children are going to have are impacted so and they have a lot of different issues and i think what they know and what we've what we've had ingrained in our history is that if you don't attack multiple things they're just going to pop back up somewhere else right so if we 
attack education at the same time as we attack voting rights, stuff like that, or if we don't attack voting rights at the same time as we attack uh, incarceration. Like, those two things are very closely tied. True. So, incarceration, for example, right? Uh, incarceration in states like Virginia and Iowa and Kentucky, people who are felons, people who have been convicted of a felony, cannot, they don't have access to civil rights until they actually write a petition to the governor. The governor has to approve the uh, them getting their civil rights, including voting, back. And the governor doesn't always approve. And they don't really have a standard for what the governor has to and doesn't have to approve. So, so you have, you know, I think the voting, the elector, the black electorate in Kentucky is reduced by like five percentage points, which is huge. So stuff like that, that mm. That goes, you know, that's something where voting rights, and it's clearly on purpose, right? Because they have lots of little small races that are won really closely in, in gerrymandered districts. Uh, so that's somewhere where voting and criminal policy, uh, policing, incarceration all, all mix. And I don't think you can separate those things. Okay. So to me, it's tough. Right. And I, I, I feel where you're coming from. And that's definitely a valid point because you, you do have to have all those things kind of coming together at one time. Uh, but I, I also look at it like what moves in the country and it's always the money. So to me, if you want to make the change happen, it's got to be with the money because you look at some of these corporations, you know, for example, Comcast. If they want some action or they want some action to stop, they're going to put money into those lobbyists, you know, and then at the end of the day, have one of their former lobbyists in the FCC as the head chair, you know, oh, yeah. that's how they get down. So it's always revolving around the money. And I think that education and that police reform is probably the closest tie, because if you re redistribute some of that spending and militarization of the police and kind of shift that back to our education, then we might see, you know, real improvement on both fronts because not only would the education improve, but also the family life as a whole, because right now you just got black fathers just being snatched off the streets left and right. And me right here outside of, uh, in Atlanta and Marietta, it's an everyday thing. And, I got my own story myself. Uh, definitely uh, willing to share a little bit of that with you later on. But uh, I just see it too many times. And it's, it's really got to start there because that's what's like breaking down the progress. Yeah, I agree. So, I, I'm, so the money thing always is something I go back to because I think it's a piece we haven't quite solved yet. And it's going to be. I mean, it's the toughest piece because if making money was easy and spending money was easy, then everybody would do it, right? Right. <laughs> but yeah, who's our Koch brothers? Like, who is bankrolling and who's going to be able to bankroll in the face of all this pressure? The initiatives we want change, and so you know, people, activists do a really good job of overcoming the really big money differences they have, and that's. One of the important that's the importance of using media is it helps you get over that disadvantage, but you still need money somewhere, right? Right. So I, I think a lot about that, and I've, I've been working on a few things to hopefully get uh, 
move towards being able to do some broad funding and most importantly like firefighting so emergency funding to because that's how the movement operates something happens somewhere and people have to mobilize very quickly and go there right so trying to figure out a way to make a funding and support apparatus that matches up with that urgency and it's it's tough but it's necessary man i, I definitely would uh love to see what you got cooking over here uh because it, that is much needed and you know that always brings up the the other argument about the centralized movement versus the spread out one uh mm-hmm. and I feel like it needs to be both at the same time, just like the government where it's spread out, but it has to be connected or networked properly. And I think that's the thing is right now you got a lot of movements, but I'm not sure if they're all connected properly and just making sure that everybody knows what's on the up and up. Yeah. So that's always the, big push and pull and I, I think there's ways to get the like advantages of both so the advantages of like big centralized movements are you know where the money's coming from you you all everybody has the same message and and you can mobilize like you get everybody on the same page and doing the same exact thing right like that's how a lot of folks like MLK's organization they work just like MLK, that but I think there's also value there's value in the decentralized stuff too and i think there's i think there's a lot of value and i actually believe right now that that's probably more appropriate in the social media age but you still have to be able to get those you know you you have to be able to get messages out and spread them and get get folks on the same page and also get resources where you need to get so that's where i think the evolution and the mature you know maturing of the movement is going to is how do we solve these logistic, you know, very often tedious and boring things? It's you know, it's not going out in the street and protesting. It's a lot of times going to involve sitting behind a computer and moving spreadsheets for hours. So that to me is one of the next turns for a lot of activists for Black Lives Matter is really putting you know, getting the technological, the logistic, and the support stuff down because. I mean, the value of the church in this movement, them church ladies were logistic masters. They was, you know, they, mm-hmm. they knew it from church, how to get butts and seats, how to get people moving, how to motivate people to give money. Like that's all things the church is good at. Right. So, yeah. And that, that, and see, now you're bringing up another thing that I, I talk about with people, which is the, this generation and this relationship with church and it's a good and bad thing uh, because for one you got people who are starting to think for themselves and uh, that is very important in the, the way of progress and making sure people really understand what's going on around them instead of kind of just going with the flow so that's definitely something that needs to be done but when you look back at it is some of those things that get this generation pushed out of the church and not really want to be in it. And then of course you got, you know, the money aspect of that also. So there, there, you know, there, that go again. Uh, and 
it really has changed how the movement does progress. Oh yeah, and, and uh, the 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 thing now, and the the most troubling thing now is black folks still, at by and large, give the most of their money that they do give. You know, like all the money folks give to charity, all that stuff. All the, a good portion of black investment is still in the churches, but the church is not connected to social justice anymore the same way it used to be so now there's like a used to be black folks have always given most of their money that they give to the church uh and in, in the past in the 60s and the 70s the reason why it worked to and the reason why hbcus have always popped up through churches the reason why you know all the movement leaders have come out of churches is because it is has been the hub for redistributing those resources now, with them being disconnected, we got to find a way to either, like, get folks back in conversation. You don't have to be a Christian, or you don't have to believe in the church's views in order to make alliances with them and, you know, reestablish that contact, uh, or finding a way to replicate what the church does and has always done. Right. So just getting that, that representation in the movement from the church. Yeah. I think there's some... It's important to get communities of faith in on what we do. And I am a, you know, full disclosure, I'm a Christian. And I think that there's a lot of Christian folks who do want to be, you know, looped into the, and aren't in that, you know, old school mindset of, you know, you got to do this, you know, women can't do that. There's a lot of avant-garde Christians out there and, and Muslims and people of all, all faiths who really want to get involved and, have tons of resources behind them. That and yeah, that that's exactly. Uh, real quick, because uh, I want to try to uh, change pace because I know we run a little short on time. Uh, but yep. if y'all want more of that talk, definitely check out Negroes with a podcast. One of my favorite podcasts. Going to put out a, a five star review, but I've been trying to figure out what I wanted to say or how to describe what the podcast is in the interview. And I'm just about there. Uh, um, <clears throat> I basically say right now, I feel like y'all the homeboys. I wish I would have had in high school, <laughs> you know, cause, uh, y'all, y'all really be bringing it there. Uh, so want to hit on this one thing I keep seeing pop up on Twitter, my news feed, all over the place. And at first I, I thought it was like a villain from uh, a 101 Dalmatians movie, but it was actually Donald Trump. Um, what do you think about Donald Trump? I am. And I think I've always, I mean, well, let me say that. I'm over. one of the few people. Okay. Go ahead. Let, me, yeah, let me ask that over. What do you think about Donald Trump impact? on this year's election? On the one hand, I think Donald Trump is like exactly what our country deserves. I think he's exactly <laughs> what, this is exactly where all, all the, you know, rhetoric on one side, all the racism, all that stuff is where it leads. Like he is the candidate that Republicans and conservatives in this country deserve. But on the on the other hand, I don't want, like I don't want him coming close enough to the election to actually have a be a threat to it, because that's you know that's terrifying. That to me is like 
we would be right in 1984. One of those books about you know the future. One of those future books where all of the black people are, have disappeared. Or in, <laughs> yeah, the, like this. It's terrifying to me, and I think folks are trying. And I think folks are scared too, but they want to like, oh, he's not going to win. He's not serious, so they don't. They 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 try to basically cast a blind eye, look away whenever he's doing stuff. I think that enables him. And serious people are saying, "I'm not going to cover. I'm not going to. I'm covered as entertainment. I'm just going to look the other way." But they're going to be sitting there looking like, "Oh, damn! What was I supposed to do when he actually is a nominee?" And then what? You're gonna have a lot of people basically pissing on themselves, and uh, they're gonna be hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a mess, and it is weird because nobody else from the Republican Party is actually standing out. Like nobody has anything really relevant to say or even interesting. You know, you got one candidate who you can't even really find right now. Yeah, I mean, so Rick Perry just dropped out. Uh, Bobby Jindal is actually to me a wor- like a worse candidate. Where is um, he? He he does he he is not invited to any of the debates because he, he hasn't polled over one percent yet. Uh, but he's in a, he's in a Twitter beef right now with Donald Trump. If you want to go on Twitter and see it, but see, yeah, I've been blacked out for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, but he hasn't really been anywhere in real life. Just Twitter. <laughs> That's incredible, uh, man. I know when I see Donald Trump, like you said, is is what America deserves. But what do you think about the people who like the fact that he's just saying stuff? Well, uh, to me, the scary thing is like the bad part about not bad, but one of the bad parts about the Obama presidency is it reawoken, reawakened some stuff we thought we had buried in this country. You know, I, I think people were very happy giving black folks a little space as long as it didn't, you know, interfere too much to what they had going mm-hmm. on. You know, we, we cool. You can do all those things. We still got the power, but now we got a black president putting in black officers. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> and now they're like, okay, so clearly we got to get back to what we were doing before. So y'all, y'all are doing a little too much. So we, we got to go back to how it was. So, and now, like, you see a lot of those folks who, you know, Donald Trump is saying what they have had in their hearts but couldn't say because of political correctness. And it shows to me that, like, racism and all those things and xenophobia and, you know, how much folks hate immigrants and how much folks hate uh, gay, transgender, lesbian, uh, queer, bisexual folks. Like, that, it shows me those things actually haven't changed as much as we want to believe. And Donald Trump is popular now because he's saying all those things that were they didn't fall out of conversation because people stopped feeling them. Feeling them, they they came out of conversation because they were like taboo. So Donald Trump is breaking taboo on, I believe, a half of the country actually thinks. So that's to me like the the scariest part about him. Mm. So it's, it's basically bringing back some of that back of the mind stuff to the forefront. Yep. Pretty much. Mm. Pretty much. Mm. 
I can't wait to see what's gonna happen. I I, I can't wait. <laughs> this, this, this is this is almost. I'm trying to think. Uh, where could I put this at? Like that time between when Jay Z dissed Nas at Summer Jam and when Ether came out. So I'm like, what's gonna happen on the end? I'm just anticipating the backlash of whatever happens next. Yeah, I am getting ready to uh you know, I'm just gonna have a flight ready just in case, you know. <laughs> oh man. Uh um uh, speaking of hip hop though, I heard on a previous podcast uh couple things about your music taste and i recently just had uh a podcast you know really it was mainly focused around um the whole meat meal drake beef and one of the things we also got into on that podcast was this last future album now i will give you some credit because you did go to morehouse so I felt like you probably did get enough exposure to understand a little bit more future than the average person, uh, because it is a requirement that you actually have to be in Atlanta for at least six months to understand half of what future saying. Um, <laughs> that should be the disclaimer on it, but they never put it on there. I don't know why. Uh, but you seem to have some, some varying taste in music. Now, why you liking Future and why you hating J. Cole so much? So I think people misconstrue, misconstrue what I feel about J. Cole is hate. I don't hate J. Cole. And I think I grade on a curve. So to me, I grew up, I'm an, again, I'm a Carolinian. Mm-hmm. Um, True. Okay. And that's, that's... The, news, the news that Cole went platinum to me, like I celebrate it. Like, I'm, I'm hyped that we got an artist that's coming out, doesn't have to sell out, and can do his thing. And go platinum. Like, when's the last time a Carolina rapper went platinum? Has it ever happened? But I don't know. Hey, I mean, Pablo? I don't think Pete no. Pablo went platinum, and I don't think Lil Brother ever went platinum. And they so, won't let him go platinum. Like, that's I'm excited about that. And I, I, I've listened to Cole since the, the come-up, since the warm-up, uh, since he's putting out tapes before he got you know signed to Rock Nation. So, like, I'm a J. Cole supporter. Now, as to his music, I think his music has... This is what I was trying to say, and I don't think I said it very well on the podcast. There's a level of corniness to it to me that that Mm. annoys me. And I... To me, it's okay, you know, when you're a 19-year-old rapper coming out and you've got corny bars or whatever, because, you know, I, I was corny when I was 19. I get it. But I think I sort of grew up with J. Cole, and J. Cole hasn't grown up. And that's mm. what gets me about his music. And it, it, it's, clear, it's totally biased because I, I grade him more harshly than other, other rappers. Because I want to see him, you know, be like everything we hope for from, the, from North Carolina. But I still think it's legit. Like, there's Kendrick Lamar, for example, has grown a lot since his first album, uh, since his first mixtape. Yeah. Um, future hasn't grown well he's grown he's actually had a lot of real life stuff he talks about but he's you know i think i also distinguish between people who do make who don't make any bones about being terrible people 
uh, and, and folks who are making like more conscious music. And I want to see those conscious artists really grow and start to think about things from a broader perspective. And I don't see that Cole has been getting there, hasn't been, he hasn't been exhibiting the growth expected out of him. So that, that's, that's it for me. Okay. All right. I see what you're saying. And that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. I, I do agree that his music hasn't matured probably at the rate you would think it, he would. But like he's 30 now. And he's 30. He's like, well, he's about 30. He's, he's older than me. So let me see. I think he's like 30, though. He's like 29. I had no idea J. Cole was 30. Man, you are breaking news to me. Let, let me see how old he is. He. I know he's a couple years older than me, so he's got to be like 29 at least. I, I got to know that for sure before I say anything. Yeah, you're right, bro. He is 30. Yeah, he's 30. Oh, wow. He's 30 this year. Like, and I'm like, dog, like, you still rapping about the same things you were rapping about on the come up, which happened eight years ago. We were 22. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now... That does change things a little bit, but my thing is with him, I'm thinking he's almost kind of stuck where he's at until some, like the producer has to unlock him. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't think J. Cole will unlock himself because he's doing what made him successful and it's honestly who he is in his conscience. But as far as him, what, like needing to grow musically, he would have to do uh like an album with Pharrell or, you know, Kanye or something like, you know, one of them type of albums. You know, when you, uh, you get that that consistency of the the quality from song to song and it's and it's really showing, you know, that next level music like, you know, almost when like T.I. did T.I. versus T.I.P. To me, that was yeah. the change for him. That was one of his musically uh best albums that he ever did and it was the the just blaze kind of being through out the whole album and you could tell like this was crafted you know j cole is just going in the studio with beats is is what it seems like yeah and so j cole does a lot of his own production and i think that i like j cole's production in in small doses but i don't think he he has what it takes to carry his own sound for a whole album and I think, to his credit, he's he's realized that has been doing more outside producers. But what I like to see is an eight-song tape EP with him with no ID on the boards. There you like, go. To me, that would be dope. Like, he just free to, you know, get a couple, get some budgets in there for some samples. Because that's one of the things that's really killed a lot of his sound to me is they don't, you know, they don't have the, 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 the budget to put samples or, like, same stuff. So... It's like J. Cole makes an original beat with the drum kit and J. Cole sings the hook. And J like it's like he's a one, one man band, but I think he would do a lot better with people helping. Exactly. And, you know, it was kind of the same thing with Kanye. You know, yeah. I mean, of course, College Dropout, one of the best albums of all time, let alone debuts. Uh, but you could kind of tell going into late registration he was a little too much in his own head. And then that's when you see uh graduation, when he started bringing in other folks to make beats for him, it, it came together. Yeah. And graduation is my favorite Kanye. So 
Yep. <laughs> so that that's totally true, man. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know, man. I'm I'm just I'm in the J Cole because I feel uh, somewhat, I guess, connected because I'm trying to think how can I put this? Like, cause I rap, like I write music. Mm-hmm. It's something I've did forever. I kind of put it to the side because I want to do podcasts and a little bit of blogging. And, you know, I started my own business, uh, had kids, all that different stuff. Uh, but, you know, I still get the itch. And I see that my role is more as a songwriter because I just got in the studio uh, with a couple cats and, you know, had a song for them. And, you know, it's coming out pretty dope. But I, J. Cole is kind of like who I would be as a rapper if I would actually put everything into what, you know, music was. Uh, so I feel a little, a little bit more connected with him. Like you said, I kind of grew up with him too. Uh, and he was right there. He was lyrical, you know, talked about stuff in a smart way and wasn't dumb about what was going on around him. And I guess that still just comes across to me. And I'm it's like as long as I get a little bit of some of that, what I guess that caught in that nostalgia, I kind of just keep rocking with it. I, I, yeah, and I, I feel it. And I, mean, I, I bought uh, Forest Hill Drive, and I listen to it pretty often, minus No Role Models, which I don't like. But I, I don't like No Role Models. How do you not uh, like that song? I don't, I don't think it's a good song. And it, it's it's... People be try- keep trying to convince me that it is, and I just you know, I don't feel it. But everybody has their own, own little taste, right? But yeah, you really to like me, it's like if you got a if you have a brother that's in the game, right? And and I think you always gonna, gonna you know always be connected to him. I was gonna support his work, but I think I always grade people harder when I do have that connection. So that's what to me is is I, I want to see him be. Like the greatest J. Cole that I think can happen. And I don't think he's been trending towards that. That's all, all it is. So you basically saying he is the Carmelo of the rap game. That that is a great comparison. He could be Carmelo Anthony. Mm. Just gave me an idea. Uh man, I uh I really do appreciate you coming on to the podcast five fifths. Uh like I said before, I was generally excited to have this conversation and you did not let me down. Um, did you have a few minutes before we get, uh, after we get done? Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, just once again, just remind the people where they can find you and, uh, we're going to get on out of it. Excuse me. We're going to get on up out of here if I could talk once again. All right. Well, uh, five fifths. You can catch me at NWAP Cast on Twitter, and our iTunes is NWAP on iTunes. Uh, and you can also find me at sevenscribes.com, uh, spelled out sevenscribes.com. And yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh man, we do appreciate that once again. And uh, y'all do follow us at the Runout South on Twitter. I'm SEL, the main event on Twitter. And uh, we out here. Peace. Peace.